The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 137 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show are my own and not my present or past employers. I would never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to do as well to my current employment. And I would never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I'll remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So just a reminder, folks, uh, we're all over the internet right now. We're on at least a dozen different playback mediums. And you can listen to any episode you like on our very own website at tf7radio.com. So I, I would ask that everyone visit the site, check it out, uh, see what's there. Uh, we got some TF7 merch up on the site now. Um, that's only going to get better. This is our, our first version, and, and we're talking about how we're going to enhance that uh, merchandise, which is very cool. Uh, you can also check out the day's cybersecurity news, the top cybersecurity uh, articles that come out every day are also posted on the site. And our entire episode library is also there, as well as our industry-leading tier one guest list. So uh, when you visit the site, there's a place to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. Uh, that keeps you closer to the TF7 family, keeps you up to date on TF7 news. We're going to be sending out updates uh, shortly uh, over the next few months, and then they'll go out regular after that, which is pretty cool. Uh, so, uh, and plus, give us all the feedback, all right? We love the feedback. Give us the feedback on the site. Um, it's sort of in, in, in its infancy in, in a great deal uh, of ways, um, but it's only going to get better. So, we're really excited about it. We got a great guest for you this evening, former 8200 officer and chief engineering officer of Mitiga, Mr. Ariel Parnes is going to be with us. That's right. We got the coolest guest on the TF7 radio, I got to tell you, right? I mean, having 8200 on the show is going to be awesome, right? It's just, uh, I'm really pumped up for this episode. Mitiga is a stealth cybersecurity company out of Tel Aviv, Israel. And Mr. Parnes is responsible for designing and delivering the company's innovative cybersecurity solution sets. So Mr. Parnes is a retired colonel from the IDF's world-renowned Elite 8200 Cybersecurity Unit where he served 20 plus years in a wide range of roles in the areas of intelligence, information technology, offensive and defensive cybersecurity operations, and cyber warfare. So during his military service, Mr. Parnes was awarded the prestigious Israel Defense Prize for technological, technological breakthroughs in the cybersecurity field. Before co-founding Mitiga, Ariel was a sought-after consultant for classified cybersecurity projects around the world, 
bringing a unique combination of hands-on operational experience and strategic national level thinking. So this is going to be a great show, folks. Information that you only get here on TF7 Radio. I'm excited. Let's kick it off. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the show, former 8200 officer and the current co-founder and chief engineering officer of Mitiga, Mr. Ariel Parnes. Ariel, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hi, Josh. Thank you for inviting me to your program. Hi. Hey, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I want to talk a little bit about 8200 because it's a, it's a special interest to a lot of people in information security, especially uh, here in the United States. Um, and so let's, let's do some level setting right now. What is the role of 8200 in the Israeli ecosystem? So 8200 is the, uh, formally is the Israeli National Sedient and Cyber Unit. So in terms of responsibility and roles, it is equivalent to equivalent of the NSA or the GCHQ in, in the UK, right? Only that it is a military unit as opposed to a civilian one. So it means that due to the compulsory service law, uh, every single year, a large number of young men and women just, just finish high school, enroll into the unit uh, for an average of three to five years of service. It also means that every year, a large number of young men and women come out of the military service with three to five years of hands-on cutting-edge experience in the areas of R&D, IT, cybersecurity, big data, etc. So if you ask me, the role of 8200 is much bigger than just being the military cyber unit. It is definitely, I would say, the engine that leads the Israeli cyber ecosystem, right? Right. I mean, it, I, I feel like it just has such a level of prominence um, across the globe, really, uh, but especially here in the United States. Uh, people think about it at, a, at the highest levels of uh, cybersecurity experts that you, can, that you can be. What is the uniqueness, really, that, that makes 8200 so famous? Yeah. Um, to my opinion, there are three uh, key factors that make 8200 an elite leading unit as it is today. The first one is the fact that every year, again, as I mentioned previously, um, 8200 has the privilege to pick and choose the most talented young men and women that are highly motivated and capable, but that's important. In most of the cases, they do not have the years of experience and legacy, so it creates a constant energy of innovation. Let me put it this way. Every year, I had to explain again and again to a new group of young soldiers that trying to solve a certain problem was a waste of time, and fortunately to me, time and again, they proved me wrong. Right? So this is one <laughs> factor that I think is very important for for understanding what 8200 is. The second key factor is a constant need and demand for solutions. As it is the largest and, largest and most significant cyber and second unit in the Israeli ecosystem, and due to the constant you know, challenges that we have in our Tafan neighborhood, the unit does not have the privilege to say, hey, I don't have anything to contribute to this challenge, no matter what the national challenge is. So this brings a constant demand for solutions and creates a DNA of continuous relevancy. Just an, again, another example, up-to-date example, even with the current coronavirus situation, 8200 found itself, uh, finds itself helping the Israeli Health Ministry by providing their expertise in data science in order to support the efforts to analyze the um, evolvement of the pandemic in Israel. Uh, and the third, key factor is a successful leadership uh, and uh, successful leadership decisions through the history. So let me tell you a little bit about the history of, of 8200. 
about 20 years ago, more or less, when I started my military service in the unit, 8200 was just a civilian unit. It means a unit that actually is focused on collecting signals, processing them, analyzing them. Uh, at the very same time, a small pioneering group of talented soldiers and officers realized that in order to remain relevant in the future with all these changes of the technology, IT, communication, etc., there was a need to come up with new approaches that would require actually to remote access, remote access to the source of the signal instead of just waiting uh, for it to be collected in the air, right? So this was a disruptive approach at that time. It could have easily could have been uh, killed by the mainstream, but the leadership at that time was wise enough to support the team, which led the foundations of the cyber capabilities and then later on to lead the strat a strategic shift from passive SIGINT to SIGINT and cyber, which is 8200 nowadays. Had it not been the case, I think 8200 would have been now, uh, by now, an obsolete, uh, irrelevant unit that nobody knows. So it, you make it sound, you know, you make it sound easy to get in, but how do you actually get into the 8200? 80, 80, I mean, the... The, uh, you, you said they, they go out and they search for people and they select people. I mean, but can you apply or do they have to go, to go find you, really? So there are various ways to, uh, to get into the unit, but in general, there is a very structured process uh, that every year is uh, conducted where at the beginning, the unit gets a large list of uh, young women and men coming out from the high schools based, based on their uh, grades and their uh, achievements in the high school. And then there starts, uh, starts a process where we go from face to face and kind of a final process of interviews and examinations and tests and uh, uh, trying to assess their capability to learn and their values and also their background. And at the end, selecting uh, the different profiles and different people for different profiles and different trainings. And I think the key factor that we are looking, um, 8,200 people are looking for, for the process of uh, hiring or bringing people inside the unit is mainly the, uh, their capability to learn and uh, uh, do it fast. Because we obviously uh, are dealing with people that are inexperienced, they didn't finish um, college or, or university in most of the cases, just high school they um, maybe have some background in cyber. Of course, nowadays it's more common than in the past, but obviously they have to learn a lot and the service, um, uh, the compulsory service is no longer, the, no longer than three to five years. So the so key the factor- people, just, just to be clear, the people that are in 8200 didn't even go to college? Right, most of them. Most of them didn't go to college. Some of them um, are sent to college by, 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 by the unit as part of their uh, military service and then go back. I did that. But when I enrolled the unit and, and nowadays ev almost everybody start ex directly when they finish high school. So their background is, you know, high school and what they learned at home. So we have to train them very, very rapidly. And this is why we are looking for these capabilities of learning yeah. and also their value and, and passion, right? I think passion is also very significant. Um, factor here. So I'm not going to go so far as to say that the NSA doesn't recruit out of high school, and I'm, I'm sure they have a variety of different recruiting uh, methods, but 
the, the fact that most people in this union all come from right, right out of high school, I think is a little bit different here than in the United States. Um, That's right. Yeah. I mean, you talked about innovation and innovation. It's, it's hard enough to foster innovation in the, in the private sector, even like a, a large corporation, a large fortune, you know, fortune 50 company. Sometimes people get set in their ways and it's just this big machine that just grinds every day. How do you foster creativity in a military setting? Yeah, that's, that's a, real, a real challenge, I think. And uh, because, you know, being part of a military brings not only a lot of advantages, but also uh, some challenges. While the military nature is of rigorous you know, discipline, it is, it is clear that for 8200, we need to provide a different environment uh, for its people, right? So I could say that to me as a commander, one of the main challenges was to find the right balance between discipline and creativity. And being uh, in, in a leadership, leadership position meant to me that I had the responsibility and the accountability, not just for enforcing the rules, but also for interpreting them. And sometimes for updating them based on what I understand is the need for my unit and for my, uh, my people, right? So sometimes I had to tweak and I had, I had to change the rules just to provide this environment that fosters creativity, which is actually, in a way, uh, contradictory to the uh, rigorous discipline of the, of the IDF or every military. So it's a real challenge, but I think 8200 managed to do that with a very uh, uh, delicate, uh, in a very delicate way. So once people get there, once people are part of 8200, are they, you know, is it like the military? Obviously, it is a military unit. You sign up, you're required to stay a certain period of time, do people right. stay after that requirement? I mean, how do they retain talent, especially in a competitive environment like, uh, like Israel? That's right, that's right. So, you know, um, for most of the cases, people come with uh, ex- expecting to serve about three years, some of them for five years, the, those who get a, a more uh, sophisticated or a longer training than are, they are required to serve for five years. And sometimes a little bit more, but the average, I would say, is about five years of service. And then the challenge starts. Um, and as a commander in the unit, one of the main challenges uh, and one of the main focuses uh, for me was to retain talent in, in an environment where headhunters are almost, almost literally waiting outside the gates of the unit to snatch 8200 alumni uh, as soon as they're finished their military services, not before that. Um, so there's a lot of research and, and text on talent retainment, and we obviously know that there is no silver bullet solution for that challenge. But looking at 8200, I would mention a combination of three competitive advantages that through the years I found to be very effective in this competition for talents. A, the fact that soldiers in the unit get to be part of efforts that are highly significant for their country, their families, and their community. I think it's a very important key factor in this competition. The second is that we offer our people opportunities to deal with cutting edge, innovative technologies and solve really hard challenges. This is very thrilling for the people. And three, the fact that they are associated with excellence, talent, and elite teams, and they get to work side by side with highly talented people. So these three factors together uh, were uh, through the years very uh, successful in, in trying to compete, although we didn't always win, obviously, right? 
No, it's very interesting to me. I mean, what, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned from your service in 8200? Obviously, things that you can share with us. Yeah, well, obviously, I learned a, a lot from my military service, but if I need to select three lessons learned to share with the audience, I would say, one, take risks, take risks, and accept mistakes, yours and others. So do not be afraid to try. And this is something very embedded in the DNA of 8200, especially when you are not sure about the chances uh, of success. Leave room for mistake and invest energy in learning from them. This is the first um, uh, recommendation. The second one, lesson learned. The second one is obviously surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, right? And create the atmosphere that will allow them to express their full capabilities and talent. I was always surrounded by people smarter than me. And my biggest challenge was that to provide them the atmosphere, again, in a military environment, to express their capabilities, to uh, express their talent. And well, once, once I did that, I could you know, uh, sit back and enjoy. And the third uh, lesson learned is embrace uncertainty and constant change. In these days, only, I think, only people and teams that are agile, resilient, and flexible, and keep looking for opportunities to change, adapt, and adapt themselves, and are not afraid of uncertainty, will eventually flourish. And this is something, again, also very, very much uh, embedded into the DNA of 8200 and that I took with me uh, from my military service. You know, it's a natural question to ask. If, if people are coming right out of high school, and they don't really have that much training, and they're only going to be there for three years, and cybersecurity is such a complicated uh, marketplace. I mean, there's like 12 different domains in cybersecurity that you can get into. And it takes so long just to really understand, get a good, really general working knowledge of just one of those domains. Do they stay long enough, do you think? I mean, is three years long enough right out of high school? I mean, they must have a significant amount of uh, com uh, computer security background to do that job just to come out of the gate like that and only be there for three years, no? Yes, I think obviously three years is, is, is not enough and, and maybe um, what happens in, in the Israel ecosystem is that the, um, the, the ecosystem uh, grows up by, the, by enjoying and leveraging these um, years of experience later on, right, in the private sector. But even um, with that limit of three years and maybe a little bit more, I think there is a lot to do in terms of bringing or training people, again, very rapidly, very uh, action-oriented focus, so that they are able to provide significant value in, in, uh, in their military service uh, rapidly. And, and we have developed uh, different uh, frameworks for training people. Again, and, and you mentioned that there are a lot of um, uh, different um, uh, sub-domains uh, within the cyber, cyber domain. So we have been able to develop different uh, levels of training so that people will come up, will come into the unit, will be trained to a, a starting position, and then those who stay will uh, move forward to the next level of expertise. And of course, those who learn rapidly, they can also move to the next expertise. And, and for, for the most advanced uh, roles, obviously three years is not enough. So people stay, and this is yet another way to keep the talent. They stay if you offer them the opportunity to improve their capabilities and move to next 
to more advanced layers of, of uh, cybersecurity. And I have to mention one more comment is that we are lucky, lucky enough to have some people in Israel, as in other places, that start their cybersecurity career when they are six or seven years old nowadays. So they, you know, grow up with a, with a computer and <laughs> start coding very early. And I have met some, yeah. some of these guys, these are amazing people. And, you know, you don't have to train them. You just jump in and maybe uh, a week later, they are already operating in, in, in the cyberspace. So this is also something to, to take into consideration. Interesting. Interesting. All right. I got a lot of follow-up questions. We got to take a, uh, a commercial break right now, but stick with us, Ariel. We'll be right back. I got a, a ton right. of more questions for you. If you're a social right. media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pull up some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, former 8200 officer and the current co-founder and chief engineering officer of Mitiga, Mr. Ariel Parnes. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can bankrupt your company. It's internal risk. 
Insider fraud, ethics violations, and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis. Don't be one of them. The corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit TrustBlueCoat.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, former 8200 officer and the current co-founder and chief engineering officer of Mitiga, Mr. Ariel Parnes. So, Ariel, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the, the threat actor taxonomy and, and the people that are actually out there, people that we define as the adversary a lot of times. Are you more concerned yeah. about the lone hacker or the hacker group or the nation state orchestrated, you know, ATP attack? Like, what, out of the whole you know, gamut of hacktivists, terrorists, organized crime groups, nation states, and insiders. Who do you think you're most concerned about? Yeah, listen, I, I think from what I see, uh, I believe that the main concern nowadays should be from nation state capabilities filtering to the cybercrime arena. Huh. And I say that either unintentionally filtering or intentionally. We already had the opportunity to witness this risk becoming a reality in the past. You know, I don't have to mention examples such as Shadow Brokers and Eternal Blue and WannaCry. And my concern is that this is a case where something you know, really had an influence and an impact in the world. My concern is that as more and more nations invest more and more in building cyber capabilities, the risk for these capabilities to leak to less, I would say, less controlled cyber, cyber crime groups or actors increases. And this trend will certainly, uh, will certainly change the balance between the attackers and the defenders, as the attackers will have you know, nation-state-level resources, while defenders, unless we do something different, will have very limited resources and capabilities in their hands, right? Right. So is the real, is the real threat when nation-state actors uh, cooperate uh, and collaborate with organized crime groups that makes the, you know, that makes the threat that much more dangerous. Is that it? Or? I think, yeah, or, or, or collaborating in some, in some countries or unintentionally leaking uh, uh, capabilities because, you know, of mistakes or, or bad uh, security issues. But we've seen both. We've seen countries collaborating formally or not mostly informally with cybercrime groups uh, and using them as a proxy and these capabilities later on spread for different purposes. And, and we've seen uh, cases where uh, organizations 
lose some of their capabilities um, because of different reasons, and they end up in, in the use of, of bad people, right? Yeah, I mean, you think that's happening more and more often these days? I mean, yeah, and I think we have we also see that there are more and more countries building capabilities. So actually, the, the, the landscape is growing for that mistake, right? We have more countries having these capabilities, so more countries may lose or may use cybercrime groups uh, as proxies, and then these capabilities uh, leak to, to, to the cybercrime for different purposes. So what do you think is going to be the biggest threat in the next, you know, what, 24 months from now? I think this is a different angle. I think that today we are in, in a unique situation where there is a lot of pressure to adapt new technologies in, the, in an accelerated manner due to the coronavirus crisis, right? It's, just can see how many people use Zoom before the coronavirus crisis and how many people use that now, just in this example, as an example. The yeah. acceleration of this process comes with a lot of security compromises and all the way from you know, the, the users to the developers. These compromises create a lot of opportunities for cyber crime groups that are definitely investing considerable efforts in adapting this to this new situation. So I think that a few months from now, we will start witnessing the implications of these compromises and seeing waves of new attacks uh, that will leverage new vulnerabilities uh, and holes that we have just created because of this um, process of, uh, of adoption of new technologies, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody, uh, you know, everybody's working from home these days, and it seems that... Uh, you know, um, human basic, uh, basic human error, I think, in things like even configuring um, Zoom uh, the right way has yeah, uh, yeah. caused a lot of havoc, right, in these meetings. I mean, should we take these work from home risk uh, seriously? Because uh, in other words, do, do they have more hype than, than, than substance? I mean, uh, I have my opinions, but what, uh, what, well, what say you? My, my feeling is that there is a lot of substance here. Also, there is some hype uh, sometimes because, you know, uh, there are different interests. But, but the core issue or the core topic is that there is, there is a rapid uh, adoption of, of new technologies and working from home is um, being implemented in a less secured way right, right now because of the demand, because of the need. And I think yeah. that we need to take that seriously. And the main effort right now I would uh, put the emphasis on is on education and awareness. Yes. Because that would cover a lot of uh, issues that we are seeing right now. Also, there are more advanced things to do, right? Uh, when you look at the, the challenges of working from home, and we can talk about that. But at the very basic level, a lot of education and awareness, I've seen that when I, see, I saw the first invite for my daughter for the Zoom class. Uh, and I saw how the invite was sent and how the, uh, what was the way the, the teacher was using the Zoom, right? And it only took me five minutes to explain to her how to uh, uh, use the, uh, the encryption and how to block people from entering the room without pr uh, permission. And it already increased the security in a significant level. Right, right. Way. So it's <laughs> a lot of awareness and, and education, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've seen examples of these Zoom raiders going in and taking control of these meetings and just causing right. havoc. Especially in these college courses, they like to go in and right. and you know mess around and goof goof off. But um, but you're right. I think so. It is 
it is creating a culture of awareness, right? Creating mm-hmm. a culture of security. You can't do it in a week. <laughs> you know, it has right, to be something that you have to, and people that were unprepared and they were forced all of a sudden to work from home when they're used to working from home in, in some cases, I think they were at a disadvantage. I mean, a lot of the big companies, especially the banks, they work, people work from home all the time and they have a setup and they're kind of used to it. And then, you know, really the, the, the transition was in, in some ways seamless and, and, you know, it wasn't really a big right, deal, but, right. but in other places, you know, that's, that's not the case. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, educating uh, the users. Uh, it sounds simple, but it really isn't uh, educating the users to, you know, make sure that they're configuring their networks properly, their, their computer systems properly, their, you know, even their meetings, uh, everything that they have to do at home uh, to do their job. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you came, you, you, you know, you came from the military, you went into the, the, uh, the commercial sector. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I always like to ask this to folks because I get, I get a variety of different answers. I know a lot of guys uh, that tried to make the transition from government to the private sector. And to be honest with you, it was just a train wreck. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, they just could not make that transition uh, it's very hard. You know, we talk about it here a lot in the United States. So there's a lot of guys I know um, from the Secret Service who really successfully made the transition. There means, there's a ton of former mm-hmm. Secret Service agents in the commercial sector, uh, especially That's cybersecurity. Right. They come from the XAP program uh, that really made, uh, made the transition. Uh, not only did they make it, but they, 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 they're really, really good at what they do. Um, but it's hard. So what, for you, was it hard for you to bridge that gap between the military and the corporate world? So, you know, I think that the real challenge for me was, and I have to say it still is, finding the right balance between the military action-oriented focus approach, um, the corporate, corporate structure, process-oriented mindset, and I would say the almost chaotic startup nature. All these three, these three different set mindsets, um, I can see the value of each, each one of these different mindsets for different uh, situations. The military approach when it comes to managing with a cyber crisis and responding to cyber incident is the, is the best approach, I think, uh, that could, could, could exist. Uh, and, but the value of the corporate approach is much more significant when you need to help organizations to improve their readiness to cyber attack, for example. And, the, and from the other hand, the value, the value of the startup approach when you need to quickly come up with new uh, innovative solutions is much more important. So the real challenge for me is not uh, moving from the military to the private sector, but trying to find the, the right balance between these different um, uh, components uh, is for me the biggest challenge, but also uh, my real passion. And it remains to be seen if I, to the long term, I will be successful in doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, um it's not easy for some folks. It's, it, it's difficult. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, you're not dealing with life and death situations all the time here in mm-hmm. corporate. Yeah. Right? So people have to adjust their mindset and some guys, you know, some guys have a problem doing it. So look, how do you think your military background helps you in corporate America? I mean, how do people, mm-hmm. I like to talk about pivoting a lot, right? I like to talk about yeah. pivoting your career. How do you, you know, how do you, you know, reinvent yourself sometimes? but it's always that one little piece of information, that one skill set that you have in one job that you use to transition into another job that you don't have that full skill set, but you have some of it, right? How, do, how does yeah. your military background help you in corporate? So I think 
coming from a military and especially from the Israeli military means being, I would say, laser focused and, and action oriented. As a military officer in, in the IDF, I was trained from the very beginning to act under pressure, to process a lot of data in a very short period of time, to make rapid decisions, to execute fast, and to learn and improve on the fly. So from what I've seen, again, taking this one core capability, I think this is an approach that can bring a lot of value to businesses, uh, to business corporations, especially this day, in these days, right? Yeah, um, no doubt about it. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, corporate needs those skill sets a lot. There's a big gap in some respects. Uh, and I want to get mm-hmm. to what that, I think that gap is. And, and I want to talk about that here um, up, upcoming in the next uh, segment. But uh, what do you think 8200 can learn from corporate America? Like, so I, I, I once, you know, I, I would hope someday that the Secret Service would get together a group of people. And I think they have recently done that. And I've and and I've I've seen uh, I've seen a post where they were getting a group of people together that were former Secret Service agents that are now in corporate to go back and help them, uh, you know, understand how corporate works, understand you know different things about corporate, and learn from each other, right? And learn from each other because these are agents yeah. that these are already trusted entities, right? These are trusted mm-hmm. entities. Those are former agents. They left on obviously good yeah. terms. Um, but in that, so this is. Does 8200 have a, some kind of program where they say, okay, all the former 8200 guys that are in corporate and in, in, in the corporate world now in the private sector, you know, we're going to get a group of those guys together on a regular basis to exchange information that can be anything that's legal, of course, right? You can't just give the government information yeah. here in the United States. Um, you know, you're not going to give them data, for instance, on your, on your company. You're not going to do that. But understanding, you know, how uh, the intelligence flows and just, under, just, just basic, you know, um, an understanding how each other works and what's going on out there and what's available and things like that. I mean, what do you, what do you think? I think that we definitely have that kind of a system where uh, people from the, uh, that left the 8200 are still connected in a way, uh, of course, uh, that is supported by, by law to provide their experience and, and the point of view and, and help us to manage and, and foresee the next challenges and see how to, to uh, tackle them. But I think that we are not doing, I say we, but I'm not there already. Right? Uh, it's them, 8200, uh, is not doing that uh, to the extent that has to be done because, there, again, there is a lot of wisdom and experience, as you mentioned, also in America, but also in, the, in Israel, obviously from people that left 8200 and went to different positions and have a different view of what uh, the cyber is. Although in 8200 we, we have a great expertise in cyber, it takes different positions to, to really have a, a global understanding of, of the challenges and, and the solutions. And I think we are not doing that um, enough in 8200. I also think that there is a lot to learn from, from the American uh, corporations. I've always admired the ability of the, Ameri- the corporate America, as well as you know, American large organizations in general, to design, plan, and implement large-scale changes in projects based on structure and, methodolog- and methodology, etc. So I think the, for Israeli organizations, this is one example, and for 8200 of them, um, um, they have a lot to learn on how to grow and scale up businesses uh, from, by doing that 
kind of, you know, uh, structured methodological processes. This is, this is uh, something that we are uh, not that good at. And I, and I always admire the, the capabilities in America when I saw that also in, you know, in the cyber command and NSA and, and as well as private sector. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to make some, you know, calls uh, this week, you know, now that we're talking about this, because I just, I've always felt pretty strongly about this. I think in the private sector, you have so many people, so many former Secret Service agents out there, and I'm not, I'm not picking on the Secret Service just because I'm just talking about them because I was a former Secret Service agent. So, you know, I know mm-hmm. the, I know yeah. the organization pretty well. And, uh, and, uh, and, and love the organization. I mean, it was the best job I ever had. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you know, they can learn so much more. I mean, you have all these people out that are running these uh, cybersecurity uh, operations in charge of large, you know, security operations. Some of them have um, physical security as well. Um, right. So they have all this knowledge, all this intelligence, I guess they could share, you know, of how they're being attacked because, you know, corporate, corporate sector, I mean, especially the top, you know, you know, 50, you know, 60 companies, they have a lot of resources, man. Mm-hmm. A lot of resources to at, at their disposal, and they could actually share, you know, inf- information that's perfectly legal on the adversary, because you know, yeah. sharing information on adversaries and adversary techniques and their T2Ps and things like that's a, that's obviously nothing wrong with that, right? So, uh, what's your biggest frustration with regard to the uh, cybersecurity industry right now? You know, one one of the biggest surprises for me when I left the army and they started this uh, new journey in the cybersecurity industry was how segregated the industry is, not only in terms of infinite number of niche solutions to problems, but also in the lack of communication, dialogue and exchange of knowledge, you mentioned that, between people with different perspectives on cybersecurity. For example, I I was amazed to realize, I wasn't aware of that, that in many organizations, there is a separation by design between people who deal with the reactive cybersecurity, the IR, okay, and the people who deal with the proactive cybersecurity. To me, it is really frustrating since I, I, I can see the huge value that there is in bringing these two perspectives to the same room. So for example, I took that frustration and turned that into a passion and, and uh, to make change here. And this is what I'm trying to do with my current company, right? To combine different perspectives or different points of view and, and create this uh, holistic approach. I'm using a, uh, too, you know, holistic is too is used too much. But but again, I really believe in that in combining different uh, perspectives so that you can bring a uh, uh, an approach that will be very efficient in the field of cybersecurity. And that's what's very frustrating to me to see the segregation in the in the industry. So if if, if reactive cybersecurity is incident response, what is proactive cybersecurity in your mind? So for me, proactive cybersecurity is getting ready for the incident. I know that there is also the area of blocking the incident or trying to, um, to uh, uh, stop the incident in advance, but I, I would like to skip that because eventually I think that the right thing to do for an organization is to, be, to assume that they will be attacked if they are not already attacked, right? But they're not aware of that. Assume that they are under attack, assume that there will be attack, and get ready for a reaction more than um, throwing a lot of emphasis and, and uh, resources on blocking or preparing for every uh, possible scenario, right? So right. Uh, for me, the uh, proactive approach is improving your readiness 
so that you can react very efficiently when something happens. And it means, you know, uh, uh, practice and exercise and hunting and intelligence and uh, uh, different uh, perspectives of what I call the readiness for incidents. And that's the proactive approach. And again, the market is separate here. You see people doing that and you see other people doing the other. And it's the, the best thing is to, to pre prepare yourself for, for an incident when you know what is required to do when there is an incident and vice versa. Well, you heard it right here, folks. We got to fund the entire cybersecurity ecosystem. We got to do wargaming. We got to do crisis management. We have to do, you know, forget about just the prevention and, and the identification and the reaction and the recovery. We got to do all of them. We got to do all of them, right? We have to fund everything. So, Ariel, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, former 8200 officer and the current co founder and chief engineering officer of Mitiga, Mr. Ariel Parnes. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, former 8200 officer and the current co-founder and chief engineering officer of Mitiga, Mr. Ariel Parnes. So, Ariel, I want to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship in this segment of the show uh, because it's not a very easy thing to do. It's very, very difficult. And most entrepreneurs fail, right? So, how should less technically savvy people, technically savvy companies, conduct themselves in a world with so many threats, right? I mean, it's, it's simple that threats can nevertheless have a critical impact on a business. Uh, and if you're not technically savvy, how do they deal with it? Yeah, that, that, that's a real uh, challenge, I think. And I have three main recommendation, recommendations for this type of companies. A, hire experts to help you close their knowledge and expertise gap. Uh, don't, don't hesitate to hire experts there, there are experts out there and you need to hire them to bring their expertise. Obviously, it is a, a domain that needs expertise. B, invest in education to raise the awareness of the company so that everybody will start um, uh, just start the process of learning what the cyber, cyber means and what cybersecurity means. And three, practice and implement. Again, I go back to the practice and practice um, and conduct drills and exercises to identify gaps and build improvement plans, and then implement the plans, obviously, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds easy. It's not, and I, do, do people yeah, who are exactly. not technically savvy know what an expert in, in cybersecurity looks like? <laughs> right. uh, that, that's a great question. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, for that, you need proven at the track record. You need to um, contact people from your network and ask for an advice. So maybe you're not savvy, but you have friends in the industry that can help you connect with the right people, to the right experts. Yeah, there is a lot of people out there. Some of them are really strong. Some are less strong. So what are the biggest challenges uh, that you face in the startup world, you know, with your company? Yeah, I would say that in the startup world nowadays, uh, for a company like ours and companies in the cybersecurity arena, I, I would mention three main uh, challenges. One is talent acquisition, obviously. Startups compete for talent, not only with other startups, but with also with large and strong companies with more resources. And talent is critical for startups, startups at the beginning, especially in the cybersecurity industry. So this is one challenge we are facing. Um, luckily enough, we have the connection, we have the ecosystem, Israeli ecosystem, but still we are, we are competing there. The second is go-to-market strategy. Again, especially in the cyber industry where there is a lot of startups trying to fight for, for the attention of only a few seasons, uh, finding the exact go-to-market strategy is the key factor for an early stage startup. And the third uh, challenge, more general one, is endurance and agility. I think leading a startup means, you said that before, constantly managing crisis, changes, uncertainty, and startups, especially startup founders that do not have the necessary endurance and agility are doomed to failure. So this is one last challenge I see. So there's so many exciting startups coming out of Israel. It's like very saturated, the industry. I mean, how, how do you stand out 
uh, from all these companies, that these startups that are just sort of popping up everywhere. Yeah, that's right. A lot yeah. of great companies in Israel. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's a tough competition. Uh, from our side, Mitiga uh, is an Israeli startup that provides incident readiness and response services and specializes in the cloud and hybrid environments. What we decided to do in Mitiga, when I say we, uh, part of myself is um, my co-founders, Tal Moses and Ofer Maor, who are very experienced entrepreneurs with great track record. What we decided to do is to bring uh, a unique approach and build a company that from day one combines services with technology. So that on one hand, on the one hand, we are bringing constant value to clients from the very beginning and are addressing real needs. And on the other hand, we are constantly investing efforts into building capabilities and technologies that will scale up and automate the services that we are providing. And eventually, we'll be part of a platform that we tend to build for managing cyber incident readiness and response. So I think that this is a unique approach compared to what you see in the Israeli ecosystem, which is much more inclined towards products. So this makes us, I think, uh, unique in the way we are managed, in the DNA of our team, in the day-to-day, and in the long-term vision. All right. What, what excites you about cybersecurity? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing all this? Like, what's uh, you I know, mean, you've mentioned before that you have a lot of, you have a lot of passion uh, for yeah, life, yeah. you know, but why cyber? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love the infinite challenge. I love the constant change. And I love being part of an historic revolution. That's what we are doing here. But I most, I mo- the most exciting thing, thing to me is that since there is no way to predict what the world will look like five years from now, for example, I am in a position to be among those who will shape that future. So being in a, in, in a position to shape the future is for me the most thrilling and exciting uh, uh, factor of being being part of the cyber community nowadays. So what advice would you give some, to some of the young folks that are listening to the show, whether they want to join an organization mm-hmm. like 8200 or the NSA, or they want to go into corporate, they want to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I mean, a lot of, I mean, more than ever, you see kids coming right out of college. Like, what do you, you know, right. what do you want to do? I'll just want to be an entrepreneur. I don't want to work for anybody. <laughs> right. You know? right. So I would say two things. One practical First of all, if you are hesitating about having a career in cybersecurity, don't hesitate. Definitely. The cybersecurity world needs talent. There is a lot of career opportunities now, and there will much more in the future. So just come and join us, right? And maybe a more philosophical advice, um, through the years I've realized that while you need some luck in life, the, fit, the key factor for a successful career is to identify and embrace opportunities. It is not just, you know, being the right person in the right place, but rather identifying that you are and you want to be the right person in the right place. That's my motto and my main, uh, you know, advice. Ariel, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Very interesting stuff. Thank you. Thank you, George, for having me here. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd love to have you back and, and talk about some things, maybe, all, you know, what people call offensive security. Maybe we can do a show on mm-hmm. that sometime. Um, Definitely, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, we have, to, we have to calm everybody down. People get scared of that term. <laughs> we'll manage that. We'll manage that. Yeah, okay. All right. Thanks, brother. <laughs> Appreciate you. All right. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news 
at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 